0: Hey folks, Randy Newberg here on this cold Montana morning. All by myself, no guests today. Reason being is I want to talk about planning, getting ready for the 2021 hunting season, which starts with application season. And to give a little bit of an explanation of 2020 being the hardest year me and our crew has ever had out in the field yeah we had some great hunts we took some great animals along the way but man between the disruptions of travel uh having to shuffle schedules hunts being dropped that were on the calendar it was just tough and then i don't know about all of you but 2020 was the windiest year of hunting i've ever had The only thing that I despise more than hunting in the wind is hunting in the rain. So it could have been worse, but uh, in spite of it all, we had a great season. We got some cool stories to tell and uh, our entire crew, everybody made it healthy. And that's the most important part. If all, if 2020, the, the low points are just the fact that we had to hunt with a lot of wind and maybe cancel a couple trips. If that's the worst that comes out of 2020 for us, man, we're lucky. So um, I'm grateful that uh, we we are all uh, doing well. Hope you are doing well also. But uh, anyhow, today I'm going to do a podcast about how we approach uh, an upcoming season in our applications, in our planning, in our strategy, And then we're going to give you a bunch of uh, things to think about, deadlines, uh, changes to look for when you start doing your applications for 2021. And the reason we're doing this in late November is the Alaska deadlines uh, are in December. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it is this year, somewhere between December 10th and 15th. I'm doing a separate short podcast on applying in Alaska, so we'll give you those Uh, details in more depth at that time but uh yeah (laughs) it seems like one season ends and uh, as quick as one ends the other one is getting going or at least you got to get going if you want to go hunting in 2021 it's it's a reality of of what it's required uh, what is required if you want to hunt a lot of these western states for things that maybe you dream about so uh all these application podcasts uh are brought to you by go hunt uh and their insider um and so you'll hear us talk about that a lot because it's the main resource that we use for all this stuff but before we get into all that i want to thank all the other great companies that make this podcast possible um I know. Before I do that, I should I should have almost opened with an apology for the fact that we've had a gap in podcasts for a month now. Usually we release every two weeks, but I'm behind because of travel. And then uh, I ended up scheduling some podcasts. And we have this remote software that we started using as the result of COVID because it's just about impossible to have live guests anymore. Well, that software is having some flaws. And so I email them. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, well, yeah. Uh, so when you're working with really busy people as your guests and you say, all right, on Tuesday morning, can I get two hours of your time? So they block out two hours of time on their really busy calendar. And then your software doesn't work. It's not like you can ask them, hey, can you be here tomorrow or the next day? Um you know, there are some of these people that uh, let me look at my calendar. Maybe in March we can try this again. So, no good excuse other than just out there producing content. So, appreciate all of you uh, and your patience in continuing to follow our podcast. Uh, we've got some really cool guests lined up. Uh, just a matter of when we can get them on the calendar. Uh, hopefully, we can talk about things that are important to all of you. Um, but in the interim, you know, every year we, we try to get people out in the field. Uh, sitting here in my studio right now, I'm looking at our the why of our business. It says to promote self-guided public land hunting and create advocates for that cause. Well, to create advocates, you got to have them out there doing it. And to get out there and do it, you got to have a tag in your pocket. So that's, that's why we spend a lot of time on this stuff. It's it's critical to being able to go hunting. So, uh, but let's uh, start quickly with uh, the great sponsors who make this podcast possible, make it free, so that everyone can uh, laugh at my foolishness or hopefully pick up a little nugget of information along the way. Uh, Loopold.com. Loopold's the title sponsor of everything we do. Um, our platforms wouldn't be here without Loopold. And they're they're not only the manufacturers of great optics and employ 600 or more great Americans in Beaverton, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, they're a family-owned business that puts their their effort and their money back into things important to us: conservation, access hunting shooting all the things they quietly behind the scenes are big supporters of all the groups that do great work for us so when you're in the optics for (laughs) mark in the market for optics go to leupold.com check out all their stuff and uh support a company that's supporting us likewise uh nosler uh ammunition they're very similar story to leupold uh if you listen to the august in august we had a podcast with john nosler uh on our podcast and he told the story about what their family business does, uh based in Bend, Oregon there, and how much they support the things that are important to us. Uh they just recently announced a new licensing, upgraded licensing agreement. They've always they've had this long-standing licensing agreement with the Elk Foundation. Uh they're expanding on that. Um so they They want to do even more for the cause of conservation and access and things we love. So when you're looking for high quality bullets, high quality ammunition and components, uh, go to Nosler.com. We use partitions. We use E-tips. We use acubons. It just depends on the species we're hunting and the rifle that we're shooting. Um, So great stuff. Been around for a long, long time. Nosler.com. And if you're like me, uh, my New Year's is always a seafood dinner. We don't, you know, we maybe do turkey at, at Thanksgiving or whatever, but it's seafood for New Year's. Uh, And our buddy John over at the Wild Alaska Seafood Box, uh, if you go over there and check him out, you'll see how he's connecting these small fishermen in Alaska directly to you, the consumer. And he knows these people. He knows these boats. He knows how they do things. He understands their support for sustainable harvest. And so he's trying to take the highest quality seafood product and get it right to your doorstep. So I suggest you do that. And if you do, and you use promo code Randy when you sign up, He's going to give you scallops, free scallops for the life of your subscription. So wildalaskaseafoodbox.com, go there, get yourself your, uh, maybe start the same tradition. New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, whatever it is, eat seafood and get it from our friends at the Wild Alaska Seafood Box. Mission Ranch, well where to even start with mystery wrench we've done a bunch of videos about how we use their packs uh this year i've used their packs to haul out my colorado bowl uh tie our sweepstakes winner haul out his new mexico bowl wyoming deer it's yeah we just we get so much benefit and use out of the packs uh they're perfect for what we do and uh a great company based right here in bozeman montana um if you want to buy a Mystery Ranch pack, go to the Go Hunt Gear Shop, gohunt.com, and click on Shop, and then you can select by brand, select Mystery Ranch packs, and when you check out there, you will get ten percent off any items that aren't already on sale. Uh, there's a few things that I think that are exempt, but most items that are you know if if they're already on sale, they're not gonna give you another discount. But uh it's a great way to save 10% on pretty much everything in your cart is by using promo code Randy. So gohunt.com, go to the gear shop, get your mystery ranch pack there, use promo code Randy and save some money. And that gets us to go hunt. Uh this podcast I'm going to talk about here, uh, just the overview, the approach, the strategy of how a lot of this stuff should should maybe be looked at or how I look at it, I guess, and I've been doing this for 25, this will be my 26th year of doing multiple states as a non-resident. Uh, the Go Hunt Insider is the place to get this information. And... Maybe if you're looking for a Christmas gift, uh, maybe drop a hint that, hey, I could use or benefit from the Insider service. And when you go there and sign up for the Insider, gohunt.com, use promo code Randy, and they're going to give you a $50 gift card to use in their gear shop. So there you have it. The best strategy articles, the best draw odds, now 3D maps that have all kinds of features that are unique to the map suite that uh, GoHunt has. Um, Just uh, really, really good stuff. As we go through all these podcasts, starting with uh, Alaska, Wyoming, Arizona, blah, blah, all the way down the line, uh, you'll see why we get so much value out of the Insider. So promo code Randy, uh, save you some money, or at least get you a $50 gift card when you sign up for the Insider. And that's who makes all these podcasts about drawing and applications possible. They ask us to do these. Um, we ask them. I don't know if they ask us. It's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship where we, we're we on the phone and emailing all the time about this and that. Thinking about, oh, did you know this change? Yeah. How do you think that's going to affect things? Da, da, da. So... uh I'm going to jump into this here and just kind of where we're going to go with these application podcasts is you're going to have this overview uh, in this, this one here. And in this one, I'm going to talk about changes for this year. Uh, some things I, I know that some of the states have already changed, how that's probably going to affect things. the way you should maybe look at it in your strategy. Um, talk about Short-term strategies, depending on whatever species it is you're looking at. Uh, mid-term strategies, long-term strategies, uh, and then also budgets. One of the things I'm finding, and this is based on me cruising the threads out on our forum, the Hunt Talk forum. Uh, we have a whole segment of the forum about tags and applications, and. I went out there the other night and just cruised all the threads. And a lot of it has to do with budgets, uh, value, where, you know, people will ask, is this state worth it? Well, it depends. Some states are worth it if you prefer archery meal deer or you prefer elk or you prefer antelope or your number one priority is a Shira's moose tag. So you really can't say it is or isn't worth it. And for me, I look at all of it as what's the best value for the money I'm investing. And for me, value is where price intersects with the quality of the product I get. In this case, the quality of the hunt or tag or opportunity that I get for the price. And where that that's also affected by where is it on my on my priority of what my goals are in hunting. And that's kind of where I start is what is my goal? What, what, what's important to me? What do I want to have on my list of, hey, I want to go do that this year or within the next five years or 10 years, I want to go do this. Well, once I start with that priority, then I know how to allocate my budgets. So that's what this podcast is going to be about. There's no right or wrong way. I think the the benefit maybe of me having been doing this forever, well, not forever, but for I'm going into my 26th year, is I can now look in the rearview mirror and say, you know, this was a mistake. Why I started throwing money at this, I don't know why. It was stupid. Or in some instances, I thought I was being smart by being really tight with my money, and now after the fact, I'm saying, you know, I should have jumped in the game for Colorado sheep and goats back in 1998. But I didn't because I, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a better option somewhere else, a better use of my money. So hopefully some of that perspective helps you as as you do your planning of, of how this goes. But uh, the next podcast on this stuff is going to be Alaska. Uh, the limited entry draws for Alaska are, I'm trying to remember the date. It's in December. Uh, it varies December 10th through the 15th. We'll, we'll give that in more detail. And then Wyoming elk, uh, that's usually due the end of January. So we'll cover that uh, in, the, in its own podcast. Then that's followed by Arizona elk and Arizona antelope. Those are usually like the first week of February is that deadline. So we'll cover that. And then in March, we have Utah and New Mexico. So we'll cover those in separate podcasts. Um, March 15th, or maybe they moved it to April 1st. I'm trying to remember. Montana is usually late Mar- mid-March to early April. Uh, Colorado is in April. Nevada is in April. Idaho, the big three, moose, goat, and sheep, is May 1st. And then deer, elk, and antelope is in June. So we'll cover all of that before those deadlines. And then Wyoming has changed, or not changed, but they, split, they have always split their deer and antelope draw from their elk draw for non-residents, and that's May 31st, so we'll do that podcast in May. So in each of those podcasts, they're going to be pretty brief. Um, we're going to talk about how that state's draw process works, uh, any changes for that state for this year, what the deadlines are, the cost, and hopefully whether or not that state is a good fit for whatever you have as your goals for this year, for three years, five years, 10 years from now. So that's the idea of doing all this is to help you get more value out of the money that you invest when you are trying to acquire a tag. So. But before I get into uh, some of the other things, I think it, it'd be helpful to talk about some of the changes that are coming up in 2021. Uh, there's a couple states that have had big fee increases. Uh, Idaho is, you know, a lot of people are talking about that because not only is there going to be a big fee increase for non-residents, uh, they're also putting some non-resident caps on on the elk zones and the -the over-the-counter deer tags. So uh, non-residents in the controlled hunts in Idaho have always been limited to 10%. But I think they've sold, in Idaho, they sold like 12,800 non-resident elk tags and about 14,000 non-resident deer tags. And those were almost uh, first come, first serve. We always called them over the counter because you didn't have to draw for them. You just go and buy them before they sell out. And any that didn't sell out, residents could come and buy a second bull tag or a second buck tag. Well, they've been selling out the last few years. And so the only time residents have been able to get in on the the second, you know, hey, I want to buy a second tag, was if there were some return tags from non-residents. So I think that's going to have a big impact on the strategy that I employ this year and I suspect others. Um, Idaho was always a safety net, kind of the, all right, if, if I didn't draw anywhere else, I could always look at Idaho as a possibility of, of going back. Well, December 1st here in a few days is when Idaho puts their 2021 non-resident items up for sale. And it'll be interesting to see how quickly those sell out. Now, maybe because of the big fee increases, they won't sell out. Or maybe they will because people are concerned that with the new caps and how that's going to make it harder for non-residents to get their tags. Maybe that's going to force some people to go and buy them sooner. I'm not really sure. I think what happens if I observe big changes in other states that have happened previously, you have kind of this one-year spike or this one-year valley where things kind of change a lot. And then after that, the second and third year, it kind of flattens out and it becomes a bit more predictable. But it's forcing me to think about, am I going to even apply in Idaho this year? Uh, I've usually done a Shira's Moose application there. But when I look at, all right, a big increase in the non-resident license fee, a big increase in the tag fee, a big increase in the application fee, plus I have to pay a transaction fee on top of all of that. Do I really wanna invest all that for some pretty low draw odds in the controlled hunts of the non-resident? I don't know. Um, It certainly causes people when they're adjusting their budgets and and determining what the value is of their investment to look at Idaho as, hmm, the value of Idaho of that investment might have went down now if you're one of those people who every year you hunt elk and you hunt deer in idaho and you go buy that license and you go buy that tag well then for sure jump into these controlled hunts because you already made the investment in the license but the fee increases and the new caps in idaho are going to change things uh utah they really ramped up their non-resident tag fees this year uh, they kind of did it last year, but it didn't take effect till after last year's draw deadline. So, uh, the increase in the non resident hunting license is only like 12 bucks or something. And then there's like a $5 increase in the application fee. But where they're going to really hammer you is the tag fee. So, most non resident tags deer, elk, antelope, bison, moose, sheep, all that are going up 30 to 50%. And Utah is a place that has a lot of non-residents with a big sack full of points. So I don't know if that's going to cause any people to drop out. I think if anyone's going to drop out based on those fee increases, it's going to be people with lower, at lower point levels who are just going to say, you know, I've not made that big of an investment in Utah. I'm going to walk away from my little investment I've made Whereas people who have been at it, like I have for, I think I've been in the Utah game now for 20, this will be my 23rd year. Uh, I'm not walking away from 22 antelope points. I'm just, (laughs) I'm not. And it was 11 or 12 years ago that Uh, Utah allowed non-residents to apply for every species there. So there's a ton of non-residents who have points for moose and for deer and elk and animal. I don't know if people will be willing to walk away from that, even with the fee increase in the tags, the, the, the cost to get in the game, the license itself and the application fee hasn't increased that much. So I don't think you're going to see as many people discouraged with the Utah fee increase as you are with the Idaho fee increase. That's just my prediction. Um, Colorado. We saw it a little bit this year with the, the later deer season dates. Um, I think in 2021 with these super late deer season uh, dates for third and fourth season. I expect a lot of people who've just been on the sideline buying points to burn them in 2021. Because one of the concerns is that with these really late rut hunts that Colorado will be having across pretty much all of its prime mule deer range, people are saying, you know what, they're going to knock down the age class and my points aren't going to be worth as much two or three or four years from now. So I'm burning them now. So I would expect that a combination is two things. Uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife is lowering the tag numbers for the third and fourth seasons because they know that they're going to have a higher harvest percentage. So to keep their buck harvest the same, if you have a higher percentage harvest, then you better have fewer tags. So we're going to have fewer non-resident tags that we're competing for. And you're going to have a bunch of people jumping off the sidelines and actually applying for tags. And so I think this year you're going to see a huge spike in what amount of points or the number of points it takes to draw some of these third season tags in Colorado. Um, Just I bring that up so that you set your expectations accordingly because draw odds are always based on the prior year. Well, when you see a big change coming You should be thinking about, hey, last year's odds, okay, it took four points to draw that third season tag last year. Well, there's fewer tags in the upcoming year, and the season dates are in the prime part of the rut. It's only reasonable to expect that that's going to be a much harder tag to draw. Maybe it goes from four points to eight points. I, I just I say that because a lot of times frustration with these non-resident systems is a function of unmet or unrealistic expectations. So don't have unrealistic unrealistic expectations by ignoring the facts that are available to you. So, and then Alaska is going to have a few changes this year because I'll, I'll use the bear hunts for example. Uh, they last May with COVID. They can't. They closed the state non-resident bear hunting, so the spring bear hunters, whether black bear or brown bear or grizzly bear, weren't able to hunt. Well, I had to cancel my hunt, and so they got a hold of me and said, "Hey, the commission has voted that you can roll your tag forward to the next draw cycle if you elect to do that, but you got to notify us by this date." So I did that. My niece, who was going to hunt with me, she did that. And so what they're doing is they're taking those tags that got rolled forward from the 2020 hunters, and they're reducing the non-resident quotas for next year's draw cycle. So non-residents are going to be competing for far fewer tags in the upcoming draw cycle than what we have been in the past, so... Just be thinking about that. When you look at that, when you download the Alaska Draw Supplement, don't assume that the quotas are going to be exactly the same as what you see on the last page as the 2020 draw results or 2019 draw, whatever year you want to look at. It's the previous year. Um, You're going to see that in some units, the quota might have been 100 but this year it's only going to be 48 because 52 of those people from last year said, I want to roll, I want to reserve a tag for the following year. So they're reducing the quota by that number. So your draw, they're going to get a lot, a lot, lot lower in some of those hunts. So anyhow, um, Those are some of the big changes I see. And the reason I bring up these changes uh, are twofold. First, I want to make sure everyone knows about them. Uh, And second, I think these changes are, every year there's, there's some of these changes. And it shows you that when you jump into this game and you start making investments and buying licenses and building points you're buying into something today that is going to likely change before you get around building enough points that you get a tag, or as we call it, burning your points. So what you buy today, it may not be what you're buying five years, eight years, 10 years from now, once you've been in the game for a while. The only thing we know is things are going to change. Now, sometimes those changes are beneficial, but more often than not, they are frustrating to the higher point holders who have been making these investments. So just want people to understand that these games change. Nothing is static when you're talking about, well, life in general, but uh, state government. <laughs> it just is how it is. So um, I now I'm going to quickly... I don't know, quickly, I'm, I'm going to dive into this thing that I call budgets. Uh, most of you know I'm a CPA, so budgets, I'm kind of the Charlie Daniels of the spreadsheet, right? Uh, and I, I look at budgets, budgets of time and budgets of money. Uh, and I don't want to discourage anybody from applying and possibly building points in these Western states. Because a lot of the best hunts that we dream of, it, it requires that you play these point games or you say, you know what, I'm not going to play those point games. And when you say you that, you're then saying, I'm not going to get an opportunity to go hunt in Nevada or Utah or Colorado or wherever it might be, or, you know, whatever state it is for whatever species. So it's a necessary quote unquote evil Every state has a pretty elaborate scheme of how they do it. And uh, when you have this much complexity and you have this many options, I, I focus on the inner mountain states of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, and New Mexico, and Alaska. Those are the states we always focus on. And a lot of people say, well, why do you not focus on Washington, Oregon, California? Well, the reason I don't is because for the quality of the experience of the cost involved, the crowding, the short season dates, uh, just a whole lot of other things, those three states have a hard time competing in the value proposition to a traveling non-resident hunter of the previous states I mentioned. So nothing against those states. If you hunt there and you know the system and you can draw a tag there, go do it. You know, don't, don't let my biases or, or my way of thinking keep you from applying in those states. Um, but the, the, this is just a reality you got to deal with. And when this is the reality, that comes to cost. And cost is an investment, so I I, view, I try to say, all right, how do I make something an investment rather than a cost? A cost is one time money out the door that I don't get anything for. An investment is, okay, I'm putting money towards something that eventually I'll see some return on that investment. So I view all of this as more of an investment than I do a cost based on the way I approach it. And like I mentioned earlier, I did my first non-resident application in 1995. Um, that was, well, once we get into the 2021 cycle, that'll be 26 years ago. Well, when I was 30, I didn't have nearly the financial budgets or the time budgets that I do now that I'm 56. And so... I understood that and I had long-term goals. So I said, all right, I'm going to start with this little pot of money. And every year through, um, it was, (laughs) I mean, I know how it is to sit down at home and look at your budget. Okay, I got a mortgage payment. I've got this. I've got that. I've got that. And when you're all done, it's like, hmm, not a whole lot left there from my hunting budget. Uh, But I did a lot of things in the interim to, I, I would say it was... It took me about five years to really build a budget that could allow me to apply in all the Western states. So I say that for the person thinking about this, for the younger person who has family obligations and all kinds of other things, I don't have an unlimited budget. I never have had an unlimited budget for this, but over the course of about five years through working other jobs, through saving, through going without certain things that everybody else had, uh, I was able to, to build this slush fund and I kind of kept it over to the side and all right, that's my play money that I'm, I'm using this for. Um, and a lot of people today say, oh, well you produce all this content. So without tags, you can't produce content. You, you spare no expense. Well, that, that would be incorrect. Um, Like I said, we don't apply in Washington, California, or Oregon. If I gave no concern about the value proposition, I'd apply in those states because maybe I'd draw. But I also make some uh, uh, decisions along the way. Like I dropped out of the Wyoming uh, moose and sheep point game. Because when they kept cranking up the number of, uh, or the dollar amount to build points for those species, I just said, you know what? It's not worth it. There are other states that represent better value, especially for me being a resident of one of those states. When Oregon cranked up their non resident license fee, you know, I think it was 2007 or 2008, and then they lowered the percentage of tags that went to non residents from. 10% down to 5%, in some cases, 2%. I said, you know what? That doesn't represent value. I'm out. I walked away from my investment. Um, so I do this same analysis and I do it for me and our crew. And and we, we look at it from a budget standpoint and it all comes down to value. Um, I, some states are going to provide a better value for elk than they do for antelope. Some states are a better value for the big three of moose, goat, and sheep than a different state might be. So you, you have to look at it that way. And my purpose for bringing this up is to make sure you're looking at how do I get the greatest value from my investment that I'm going to make in these out-of-state applications and buying into these point schemes. Because none of us have, well, maybe someone out there has zero constraint on their finances or their time. I would say just about everyone listening, myself included, are constricted in some way, either financially or time-wise. Likely we're constrained and constricted in both of those. So uh, when we start this budget process, it's kind of like your household budget. What's my goal? What am I trying to accomplish And then set my budget accordingly. So I would say for you, sit down and say, what's my most desired hunt? Whether it's because of the species or the location and the landscape on where that hunt would happen and say, this is my highest priority and walk your way down to, okay, maybe it's Arizona elk followed by Colorado mule deer followed by Idaho moose. And so set your priorities. What are they? And then start looking at, all right, of my budget, which of those can I start chiseling away at or working towards? And once you start with that, then it will make it really easy to answer these questions we always get of, is this state worth it? Well, if you ask me, is this state worth it? And you're talking about antelope, Wyoming is an absolute slam dunk, no brainer. Yes, 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 it's worth it. Or is Colorado worth it and you love to hunt mule deer? Absolutely. Not even a question it is worth it. Now, if you love to hunt elk and you ask me, is Utah worth it? I might say, hmm, if you like to hunt crowded over the counter, maybe spike only some of those hunts, then maybe it's worth it. But if you're looking at one of these premium hunts and you're just starting out or you're at two points or whatever you're going to be in that line for a long, long, long time unless you luck out and draw one of the random tags. So the point of going through that example is that there is no, what my answer would be to is Wyoming worth it might be different than your answer or is Utah worth it. And the reason being is we're each going to have different priorities of what we want to accomplish with our hunting. So... And know that each state might represent a different value for this species than it does for the for a different, different species. Nevada archery mule deer is an unbelievable value compared to Nevada elk. Mostly because non-residents are going to be older than Methuselah by the time they draw a Nevada elk tag anymore. But you can draw a Nevada archery mule deer, if not every year, every second or third year. So... An elk hunter is gonna value Nevada differently than the archery meal deer hunter. So there's, there are none of them that are the same. Um, so then we look at what are the ancillary values or the spin-off values, whatever you wanna call it. Uh, if you allocate your budget, is there a lot of other stuff that you can tack on that interests you for not much more money? And I'll use the example. I would say Arizona elk is one of the highest priorities of people that we talk to. Okay, so if you're going to do Arizona elk, you're buying a non-resident, non-refundable license, you're going to pay a $15 application fee. Okay, so you're in the game for elk. Well, Arizona has unbelievable mule deer, antelope, desert bighorn, coos deer. And each of those are only going to cost you an additional $15 application fee and you're going to build points towards that. Well, I would say that if you viewed Arizona elk as a great value, which I think it is, then it almost says I should take some of my budget and I may as well go after the other species there, even though my odds might be low for sheep or for antelope or some of the premium deer tags. Uh, it's like buying a raffle ticket. I've already paid the non-resident license fee to get in the door. So in a lot of these states, once you buy the non-refundable non-resident license, that's your big ticket. That's, that's your greatest expenditure. You may as well start adding on other things at that time. Um, so I, a lot of people say, I'm not going to do it unless I can build some points for the future. And I get that. I understand that. that that's part of what some people look at as their investment or their return on the investment. And if that's the case, that rules out Idaho and New Mexico because they don't have any type of, of point system. So some people like that. Some people say, no, as a non-resident, if I'm going to throw all this money at it, I want something in return, i.e. points. So, and the reason I bring that up about value, about return on investment is I think a lot of people get into this game and it's a little bit of a shotgun approach. They're investing their budgets in states and species where they have no practical likelihood of drawing a tag. It's just how it is. And then they end up frustrated because they don't have anything to show for their trouble or their money other than maybe they got a point. Well, if you got a point for desert sheep in, you know, Nevada, well, you look at the draw odds of people with 25 points as non-residents still have a less than 2% chance of drawing. Have, have you made much progress? No. Well, don't get frustrated because you knew all, if, if you did your research, if you went to you know in this case that we use the insider from Gohan, and did your research and looked at the draw odds looked at the history the trends you would have known how poor that investment was or what little you were going to get on that investment and you wouldn't be frustrated you would have accepted it as the reality whereas a lot of people just oh yeah i'll do this because my buddy did it or i'll do that because it sounds cool this is (laughs) <laughs> this is getting more and more competitive every year. Every year since I've been doing this, it's it's gotten harder to draw tags because the number of non-resident tags, that pool of tags has decreased and the interest of people has increased. So be thinking it through, I guess. is uh, I've said that multiple times, but I want to make sure that people start thinking this stuff through. Now... The, the, the last thing I'm going to cover is what's how do you build a short-term, mid-term, and long-term plan, and why does it matter? Well, your highest priority might be something you just say, you know, I absolutely want to go to Arizona and hunt elk. Okay. When I get into this, you'll see that I think that Arizona, if you're a rifle hunter and don't mind hunting the late rifle seasons that start the day after Thanksgiving... Well, elk could be a mid-period, you know, like a midterm plan, something that takes four to nine years. But if you say, I only want to go to Arizona if I can hunt archery in September, well, that's going to be a long-term plan unless you luck out and you draw one of the random tags. If you look at the draw odds on Insider, you will see that those archery tags, the large proportion of them go to people with more than probably 15 points. So that, the, depending on <laughs> what license type, what season dates, there, there's a lot of things that change whether or not your your number one priority or two or three priority is a short-term strategy, you got to think of a midterm strategy or a long-term strategy. And which of those strategies can be supported by your budget? So... Uh, I, I, I give this caveat that there's almost no place in the lower 48 where there's a short-term plan for Shira's moose or, well, Canada moose even, because over in the northeast states, uh, those are Canada moose. I should just say moose. There's very few places, if any, where you have a short-term plan for moose, mountain goat, or any of the sheep species. And instantly some people will say, well, Alaska, that's a short-term plan for moose or goat or sheep, doll sheep. And I say, yes, it is. But it comes with a high cost of logistics if you go self-guided for moose. You can't go self-guided for a goat or sheep. You can if you have second kindred. So you're either going to have a high cost of logistics or you're going to have the high cost of, because of the requirement to hunt with a guide. Um, uh, so when we start talking about what our short-term, mid-term, and long-term plan, we're going to be focusing mostly on the deer, antelope and elk. It's just, <laughs> it's it, it just how it is. I mean, and I'm sure some people will say, well, in Montana, you, there's some unlimited units for bighorn sheep. Yep. They are. They're right out my back door. And, They're super, super difficult hunts. They're a great experience, but the success rates are very, 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 very low. They're quotas, and so you got to be there. A lot of those quotas fill really, really early, and then you're done. And I think the success rates are 1% to 2%, maybe 3% depending on the unit. So don't count on having any short-term plans. for moose goat or sheep. Count on being lucky. So when I talk about short-term, mid-term, and long-term, I say short-term is anywhere from this year to three years down the road. Mid-term is four to nine years down the road. And long-term is the double-digit stuff, 10 years or more. Um, And I'm going to go through some of these ideas just for you to think about now that I've given the qualifier, that there are no short-term plans for moose go to sheep. Uh, for elk, and that's what a lot of our audience really loves is elk. It's going to depend on, and I used the Arizona example earlier, what, what weapon type you're looking to hunt with. But I would say your short-term states for elk are Montana, Idaho, and Colorado. Possibly even Wyoming, if you're willing to hunt their general seasons, which are some really, really good hunts. Now, if you say I'm going to hunt with either rifle or archery, I don't really care. Then some of the short term category, you know, some States will move from one category to the other. Um, as a general rule, I'd say your midterm states are Wyoming, Arizona, and possibly New Mexico. Uh, New Mexico, you got to buy the non-resident, non-refundable license. And as self-guided hunters, we're capped to 6% of the total tags. So there's, the pool of tags is not that big in New Mexico. And it takes quite a bit of luck to draw. So New Mexico is getting closer to being a long-term plan than it is a midterm plan um, when, when, we talk about elk. And then I would say the long-term states for the controlled hunts or the limited entry hunts in Utah, that's definitely a long-term situation. Uh, Nevada is a long-term situation. If you're trying to get the top end rifle tags, rifle archery or either, uh, in Wyoming or Colorado, some of those hunts are going to be long-term. It's going to take you more than 10 years. Um, but I think you could you could make the case that Colorado and Wyoming, because Colorado has the over-the-counter tags. Uh, this year, I went on a first-season hunt in Colorado, and I shot a bull. It was a remarkable hunt in the aspect of the weather was great. Season opened October 10th. Because all of the first-season rifle hunts in Colorado are unlimited entry, there weren't a lot of hunters in the woods and I drew it with three points. So that's why Colorado, I can make a case that Colorado for out could be a short term by over the counter or some of these easier to draw first rifle tags. Maybe it's a midterm strategy, or maybe it's a long term strategy because you're trying for some of those really top tier units up in the northwest part of the state, or some of the more cherished tags. Those are gonna be more than twenty points is what it takes now. So uh again, with Wyoming, with Arizona, I could move Arizona from a midterm to a long term, like I used the example earlier. Wyoming, I could make it short term, midterm, or long term, depending on what unit and what type of hunt you want to have. And that's where information is so critical to making these decisions. You know, people go out on on forums and say, give me a good Wyoming unit to apply for elk. Well, that's like saying, what's your favorite thing for for dinner? Well, there, there's, <laughs> depends on what you're in the mood for. Uh, so, information is critical to all this. And that's where we go back to the insider, is all this is right at my fingertips. And yeah, you can get all this information from the state agency websites. You got to dig around here, dig around there, and you got to do your own spreadsheets. I used to do it. I would spend days and days building spreadsheets, clipping articles, saving this web article, that, now it's all right at my fingertips. Easy, done. So that's kind of my analysis of ELK for midterm or short-term, midterm, long-term. And know that sometimes you can have a short-term goal and in the process be building points towards long-term. So Colorado, you can jump in the game, you can apply and get a point building towards your midterm or long-term plan, but you can go do an over-the-counter hunt that same year. So it's not all one or all the other. But if you're looking at the top, top top-end hunts, those are going to be pretty much all long-term hunts when it comes to elk. Then we get to mule deer. Um, I would say the short-term states... Are Montana and Idaho, and some areas of Wyoming, and the some of the archery over-the-counter mule deer in Arizona. Those are the places where it's short-term. Even there's even I would say possibly Nevada, possibly Colorado. If you're an archery hunter, those could also be short-term. There, there's places in Nevada and Colorado that you can draw every third year. Uh, as a non-resident for archery mule deer when you get into midterm stuff i think there you're talking them possibly some of the archery hunts again in colorado and nevada um, the general tags in utah general mule deer maybe that's short term if you're willing to go to one of the ones where they give away a lot of tags which means a lot of crowding uh Or you want to be a little more selective, maybe Utah becomes a mid-term, four to nine-year period. Same with Wyoming for mule deer, Uh, four to nine years, I think. There's some really, really good hunts that can be had in that mid-term category in Wyoming. And then... There's the long term stuff where if you're trying for the Henry's Mountain or the Ponce Gaunt or the Arizona Strip or Colorado Unit 44 or Nevada Unit 131, I mean, you know, Wyoming's premium late late seasons, all those are double digits times two sometimes. Uh but if you're a meal deer nut, you know, maybe you just say, hey, I've got a short-term plan and my budget allows me to say I'm going to Idaho every year or I'm going to one of the easier places in Wyoming every year and then I'm going to build points in some other state. Just know what <clears throat> what the short-term, mid-term, and long-term possibilities are. Um, and then antelope. <clears throat> antelope has so many different variables to it because There are huge differences in many states between the draw odds if you're an archery hunter versus the draw odds if you're a rifle hunter. Um, I would say if you love antelope like I do and enjoy eating them as much as I do, Wyoming and Montana are gonna be your short-term states. And that's just due to the total number of tags issued. And yeah, right now we're in low cycles for pronghorn in both those states. But even at their low cycles, those states give away a lot of tags. Now understand Wyoming has some units that would fall in that midterm four to nine years. And then even its highest end hunts are going to be long-term double-digit tags for pronghorn in certain units in Wyoming. I will never do that because I know that if you can negotiate the private public interface The same quality of bucks exist in units that take two, three, four, five points as take maximum points. It just is a little bit harder of a hunt at times can be a little more frustrating. Um, If you're an archery hunter, that's where things get easy. It's easy to build a short-term plan if you're an archery antelope hunter. You got Colorado, you have Idaho, you have Montana. Even some of the Utah non-resident archery hunts are right there at the short-term side of things. Now, if you're a rifle hunter, um, you're going to be uh, at, uh, your, your, your midterm options are going to be Colorado and Wyoming. There's a lot of places in those two states that you can draw between four to nine points. Um, now, the long-term options, like I said, there are some units in Wyoming, a couple in Utah, And all the units in Arizona and New Mexico that I'm aware of are going to be long-term options. I mean, I look at how many points it takes in Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico. I've been applying for antelope in Arizona since 1997, I think. I've drawn one tag, and it was an archery tag. Now, New Mexico, I always apply in the archery pool, I I take that back. I put my first choice as a rifle usually, and then my second third choice as archery. I've been lucky and drawn some archery tags in New Mexico, Um, but I've kind of beat the odds there. I've just gotten lucky. Now I've been on a cold streak for the last five or six years, and it might be 20 years more before I ever draw again, if, if I ever draw again. So my point is, if pronghorn is your passion, Arizona, New Mexico most of the Nevada options regardless of the weapons type I don't care if it's archery or or rifle you're looking at double digit points to have a realistic expectation yeah everybody's going to somewhere along the way beat the beat the odds but uh, don't expect that in those three states and that's too bad because the quality in those three states is unbelievable it's uh, it's some amazing stuff so Hopefully that gives you some ideas of how to think about this. I mean, and back to this value of your investment again, right? So if you love, like I said earlier, elk in Arizona, well, you'd tag on and at least buy points or apply in Arizona for antelope and for sheep and for deer. Say you love archery mule deer in Nevada, and that's a short-term plan. If you're willing to hunt the the less desirable units, you can draw those. It's reasonable to expect that in the units that have leftover tags, a non-resident could draw every second or third year. Okay, you do that. It only costs a little bit more to throw your name in the hat for the elk, for the sheep, for the antelope. And not only are you already in the game because you bought the non-refundable non-resident license at this point once you're in the game each additional species you tack on it's like buying a raffle ticket so even if you don't draw at least you get a point for your raffle ticket in those states the the point all that is look at where you're getting the most total return on your investment for these tags and that all comes down to having the best information at your at your fingertips. And you hear us say it all the time. And the reason we say it is because we believe in it and we use it. I mean, I was using the Insider when they first came out before I ever had a relationship with those guys. And it was the best money I was spending because of how much information was there, how much time it was saving me. And every year they improve it. They get, you know, like I said, their strategy articles are the best out there. Brady and trail and those guys who write those strategy articles. What I just touched on here, they go into deep, deep detail. And uh, then draw odds are good, but trends in draw odds are worth way more than just one year standalone by itself. I, I spend so much time Tracking draw trends more than I do last year's numbers. I <laughs> I spend way too much time on this stuff. But again, that stuff is all right there at your fingertips. Um, so I want to thank them for making these application podcasts possible. They're the ones who are telling us go out and do this because you want more hunters. You want more advocates for the cause of public lands and public land hunting. So do we. So let's do this. And so that's why we do it. Hopefully you got something out of this. If you are uh, interested, go to gohunt.com, sign up for the insider and uh, get a $50 gift card when you do it. Maybe someone will buy it for you for a birthday, Christmas, whatever present. So, but mostly, uh, Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and I hope you have a Merry Christmas coming up. And uh, thanks for following along. Thanks for uh, tolerating our, our uh, radio silence for the last short while. Um, it just gets busy, complicated with COVID, complicated with some technology challenges. And here we are just getting back in the game with new podcasts again. So thank you all. Really appreciate it. Stay healthy.